Well, good morning, everyone. So I have the privilege again to bring God's word to you this morning, and I'm excited about this. Does anyone know what this picture is? It's St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican City. In the year 2000, I was on a, I was in the, in the Marine Corps, and I was on a ship, and we were stopping at different ports, and one of the ports was in, was in Italy, and I took a train from this port town into Rome, and went and got to see Rome, and we went to the Vatican City, and um, I'm not, I don't come from a Catholic background, but when I walked into the Vatican City, I was amazed. I was like, this is crazy. And then I walked into St. Peter's Basilica, and it was just, it was an amazing structure. It was a visible reminder of the influence of the Roman Catholic Church in Europe in that area. And today we're going to talk about how the church is a visible reminder to our, to our culture, to our community. We're going to continue our series that we've entitled Images of the Church. And we've been looking at these different images, these different New Testament images, and they harken back to some Old Testament images of what is the church? Is it a building? Is it a group of people? What is it? And we've talked about numerous things. The church is a family. It's a body. And this week, we're going to look at the church as the temple. And if you're not already there, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2, uh, verses 19 through 22. And as you're turning there, I want to kind of give you some historical background to this. So Paul is writing to the church, the churches at Ephesus. Now, Paul's in prison at this time as he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul was put in prison for allowing a Gentile into the Jewish temple, or that's what he was, he was um, arrested for. So he's sitting in a Roman prison, and he writes these letters. And during this time, it's, a, it's not a happy time in the world. There's racial and ethnic and cultural divides between Jews and Gentiles. It's at a fever pitch. There's violence that is breaking out everywhere, especially in Ephesus. Ephesus is in Asia Minor. And so Paul is very aware of what the church at Ephesus is going through. And he's also aware that there's impending persecution that will come upon the church as churches, as the church expands through that area. And he knows that there's a need for the church to be a good witness in society. So with these multiple divisions, and also with the, the natural cultural practices of, of the Ephesians, he's concerned, so he wants to write them a letter to encourage them and to show them what, what the church is or, or how they are to think of the church. And he uses this imagery of the temple, which is absolutely brilliant. It's a brilliant image because it applies to the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's writing to a mixed group. So the Jews would have understood the temple as a visible temple where it was the Jewish temple. It was a lot of divides, and, and they got that from the tabernacle days all the way to the, the bigger, big uh, temple in Jerusalem built by Herod. The Gentiles would have understood it in Ephesus because Ephesus was the epicenter of one of the wonders of the ancient world, which was a huge temple to the goddess Diana. And it would have meant different things, but nonetheless, he uses this image as the temple to speak to both communities. 
And he uses this to remind them, and he reminds it, uses it to remind us of our true purpose in God's as God's visible witness here in New England. So let's pray and let's ask God to just open our hearts as we open this word. Father, we come to you right now. I pray that you would be with us, that your spirit would be with us, that your spirit would illuminate the words of your scripture to us. We love you, Lord, and we just want you to be glorified in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I walked into St. Peter's Basilica, I mean, I was only like 21 years old. I walk in, and the walls were amazing. There was artwork, there were statues, there was things were gold, like gold encrusted all over the place. I mean, I was just like baffled by the sheer beauty. But Paul makes it clear that the church is a temple without walls. Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So Paul says, hey, you're no longer foreigners or strangers. You're members of his household. And in the context, he's talking about the temple. You see, there's no ethnic, racial, or cultural walls in God's church. And Paul is dealing with this heavy racial, ethnic, and cultural divide. I mean, there's violence that's breaking out all over the place. This would have been a radical message in Paul's day. And it's a radical message for us today as well. And Paul is arguing that the, the divide does not exist at the foot of the cross. He's, Paul's clear. He said, there's no more divide. The veil has been torn. The walls are dropped. If you back it up a few verses in, in Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to Father and one spirit. He's saying there's no more walls. The veil was torn. When Christ gave up his life on the cross, the veil was torn, the walls are gone. And this was huge. This was a huge statement because in the Jewish context, there was divisions all throughout the temple. There was divisions for men and women, lady and priest, Jew and Gentile. He said, those walls don't exist in God's church. And as God's temple, we give witness to him by demonstrating unity, unity and diversity under his authority. In order to do that, we must address our walls. We must be humble and address our walls. We, we can't think that we don't have any walls even here in our local church. We have to address that. How? How do we address that? It starts with humility. It starts with being humble. Instead of being in protest to one another, we need to fall on our faces and prostrate ourselves before Christ at the foot of the cross. That's where it starts. And it continues with Getting out of our comfort zones. We have to get out of our comfort zones. You see, that's comfort is a thing that we treasure, but it's also something that builds walls between us. How do we get out of our comfort zone? Well, it's understanding the problem. We just watched a video on the Q Commons 
uh, event that we're doing on the 17th. That's a big thing, just to understand what are some of our issues. The other thing is service. And I'm not just talking about service for the sake of service. I'm talking about service for the sake of Christ. Serving with one another. That's one of the things I loved about being a Marine. I love being a Marine because we served together, and it didn't even matter. When it came down to it, it didn't even matter where you came from or who you were. You just served together, and all of a sudden it was like, hey, we have a common mission, something in common with one another. And God is saying there's no more walls in the church. But we need to address those walls here, even locally. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the church is a temple that's built on the message of the Bible. So it says, and also members of his household, built on the foundation, the very support structure of the apostles and the prophets. What is he talking about with a foundation? You see, the Old Testament prophets prophesied about a coming Messiah that would reconcile the whole world to himself. Then you have the New Testament apostles witness, witnessing that. And it's all contained in Scripture. So the foundation is God's message in the Bible. That is our foundation. And this message is mind-blowing. If you look at Scripture, if you look at the Bible, and you survey this thing, the message is absolutely unbelievable. We see that it's a message of origin. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created. It's a message of value. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. It's a message of purpose. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, poema, his poem. It is a message of condition, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a message of destination. Again, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin are death. It's a message of life. But the gift of God is eternal life. First and foremost, though, it's the message of Christ. This is what this, this book is. It's the message of Christ. In Genesis to Revelation, it's a message of Christ. Christ is contained through all 66 books of this Bible, of his words. It's a message that says that we've all fallen sin, all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned against a perfect God. But yet God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the perfect eternal son, to live a perfect life. He he died. He was, he was nailed to a cross. And he suffered the wrath that we deserved. He felt the sin, the weight of sin. The eternal son, the sinless son, had never felt sin before, but he feels it for the very first time, our sin. And it's not just a matter of physically being on the cross. This is the first time that he's ever felt separation from his father. And he feels the wrath of the father, the wrath that we deserved. That's why he anguished so much for us. He dies, but he's resurrected, and we put our faith and trust in him. We're no longer destined for hell or destined for heaven, eternal heaven with him. And that message is in here, from Genesis to Revelation. It exists in here. It's a message of Christ. Remember, Paul's in prison writing this. He's saying, don't forget your foundation on the apostles and the prophets. 
Paul doesn't have time to mince words. He's in prison. He knows what his fate is going to be. And if you look back in redemptive history, the amount of men and women that have died for this Bible, for God's very word, and there's people that are dying today for it. And we have access to it. We have the access to God's eternal words right here in our hands. And as God's temple, we give witness to him by being people committed to the Bible. And as a pastor, I'm very concerned about American churches. You see, I see a lot of temple-like structures everywhere. But they're leaning. I'm not sure they're built on the solid foundation of God's Word. Many of them are ready to collapse under the storms of cultural pressure. Why? Because they've abandoned the authority and the sufficiency of God's Word, the true foundation. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, Well, I take it seriously. I take the, I take the Bible seriously. Well, good. But would you die for it? Because many have and many would and many will. Maybe you're sitting there going, do I have to believe all of it though? There's some things here that are just tough for me to believe. I don't know, let's go. 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It doesn't say some scripture. It doesn't say the majority of Scripture. It says all Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. This is huge. We can't abandon this. We can't abandon God's Word. This is our foundation. So I have to ask you, what's your foundation? Do you take this seriously? Do you, do you stake your life on it? So that's the second thing. The third thing, we see that the church is a temple that is Christ-centered. We'll continue Ephesians 2.20. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone was an interesting um, piece in, in ancient building constructions. It was the first stone laid. And it provided stability and shape for the structure. So you'd have a foundation, you'd have this cornerstone, and the cornerstone would bring these outer walls together, and it would provide the shape and the structure and the stability to any sort of ancient structure. And in 20, verse 21, it says, In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, going back, thinking about when I, when I went to Italy and I, and I went to St. Peter's Basilica, I was blown away by the beauty. I mean, the sheer beauty of the building was, it was breathtaking. But you know what? What Paul's trying to make, make the point here is the beauty and a diverse people joining together far outweighs the beauty of any, any man-made building. This right here far outweighs any beauty of any man-made building. But here's the thing. It's only possible if we believe, in this, believe the same chief cornerstone. We have to believe in the same chief cornerstone, the same Jesus Christ. If not, there's nothing of substance really holding us together, keeping us stable, keeping us our shape together. 
We have to believe in the same Christ. You see, if you want to dismantle the church, you dismantle Christ, the person of Christ. And Paul says, he's your chief cornerstone. And Paul is writing to a church that's being tempted by the culture to compromise the supremacy of Christ. I mean, Ephesus was a known polytheistic area. A lot of goddess and god worshiping that happened there. Many of the people that are coming from the churches are coming from that background. And Christ was an offense and a threat to that pluralistic society. I mean, we read in Acts that as Christianity started to roll out, there was riots that were happening in Ephesus because it threatened the idol-worshiping business. There was people that made idols, and it was threatening that business because people were coming to Christ. And so all these things are, are happening, all these riots are happening, and Christ is an offense to that culture. I have to ask, has anything changed? No. Nothing has changed for us today. Here's the thing, as the church, we often lament. We look, we look through the past with rose-colored lenses, often. We say, you know, I just wish being a Christian was, was like it was back then. Or I could, you know, Jesus Christ wasn't a curse word, that it was, he was actually someone who understood, they understood him as Lord, as God. I'm not sure really, like, that really existed. But we lament, we hope for cultural resuscitation. And what that leads us to do is we talk around Christ often. Or we make excuses for the sayings of Christ. We do this because, one, we're, we're afraid, right? We don't we don't want to be rejected. We're trying to make it more palatable to people. But here's the thing. Christ doesn't need our excuses. He needs our worship. He doesn't need our excuses. He's the Lord of all. He needs our worship. And the fact is, is the culture of people, they don't need resuscitation. They need resurrection. And that comes from Christ, the true Christ. I mean, this is our purpose as God's holy temple, to proclaim the true Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we were saved. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you, not that I've been sugarcoating anything right now. But there's consequences. If you're going to stand firm in Christ and preach the true Christ, there's going to be earthly consequences. There might be rejection. Actually, there will be rejection. Christ makes that clear. But you know what? I'd much rather deal with the earthly consequences than dealing with the eternal consequences. Because there, there are eternal consequences for not presenting the true Christ. We are Christ's holy temple, and we're called to give witness to him no matter what the tides of change were. The church exists by him and for him. And he's supreme in all things. This is why we exist. So I have to ask you, do people know that you're a Christ follower? They know that you're a Christ follower. This was, this was something that hit me like a ton of bricks a few years back. I had 
just a very casual conversation with someone, and someone came up to me and said, oh, wow, I didn't even know you were a believer. I was like, what? And I was upset. And then I was humbled. And I say this because it's a humbling thing, but do people know you're a Christ follower? So that's the third thing. The last thing, the church is a temple where God's presence dwells. Ephesians 2.22 says, And in him, you too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. We see that we are being built together. There's a corporate element to our transformation into Christ's likeness. We are all living stones that are dwelt by a Spirit that are being built into a holy temple to God. You can't just privatize your relationship with Christ. It's meant to be lived in the context of community. We see that God's true, true habitation is the community, not the redeemed building, or not the building. And here's the thing, it's very easy to be attached to a building. Because the fact is, a building doesn't say anything. A building doesn't have problems. You don't have conflicts with a building, you have conflicts with people. And so it's very easy for us to get attached to a building. But in fact, God's church's temple is the people, the redeemed people. And I bring this up because the fact is, is there might be a time where we don't have a building. If you look in, in, in redemptive history, you see believers sometimes never had a building. They met in forests, they met out in the middle of nowhere. Are you going to say that there was no church? No, it's the people. We're his temple. We say, and again, when we read in verse 22, we're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We see the purpose of the temple was, was to bridge the gap between heaven and earth and the place where God actually dwelt. That's, that's the whole purpose of the temple. If you read in the Old Testament uh, about the tabernacle, and you go all the way to the New Testament where we see the, the temple, we see that there was a holy of holies, we see that was to bridge the heaven and earthly gap. And there was one place where God's presence actually dwelt. And that's us now, where God's presence actually dwells, individually but corporately as well. We bridge the gap between heaven and earth. And as God's temple, we give witness to his presence by being the church scattered. You see, God has scattered us all over the place. You guys have jobs, you have lives, and you go all over the place. The majority of your time is not spent in this building. It's spent out there. But that doesn't mean you cease being the church. As a matter of fact, you are his temple wherever he's placed you. And you're called to be his witness by dwelling, by, by, by manifesting his very presence to wherever he's placed you on your front lines. I mean, when people are around you, do they see a difference? Do they sense a difference? I mean, that's the good news of the gospel. That's, it should baffle them. Like, when we walk into a place, people should be like, I am so, like, there's something about you, and it baffles me. I don't get it. I'm not saying we're supposed to have plastic Christian smiles all the time, and you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I grew up, when I grew up, it was like, if you weren't happy, that means you weren't spiritual. You weren't, like, and that was such bogus. I mean, no, I mean, sometimes there's not happy stuff. 
still there's this foundation, this calmness, knowing that God's in control and that this life isn't it and I'm going to be in the presence of my Savior one day. And there's this thing, it just, it, it, it's this calmness and it, it really wigs people out sometimes. People kind of think sometimes like there's something wrong with you, like mentally. Maybe there is, or some of you, all right? But the point is, is we should baffle people because the very presence of God dwells within us through the power of His Holy Spirit, and together we are His temple. The fact is, is Christians aren't meant to blend in. Our natural tendency is to want to blend in, but we're not called to blend in as Christians. We're called to be lights. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. We should be different, because we are different. So let me ask you, how are you the temple outside of these walls? What does it look like in your life? You see, this starts, being the temple, manifesting the very presence of God, starts with witnessing the power of the gospel and weaving it to your very being. Witnessing. Sometimes we think witnessing is just sharing your faith, but it's actually witnessing in a legal sense as I saw something and then I'm telling you about it, right? Like I call a witness to the stand. Have you ever just thought about the gospel and just said, this is who I was, and this is who I am in Christ? Wait, this is who I was, and this is who I am in Christ? And just let that sink in? Have you ever just let it sink? Have you ever just let it sink in? This is where I was going, but now I'm going here? This is the plight of my life, but now it's this. Why? Because I'm not good? No. Because of God's sovereign grace and his choice, and I don't even get this. It's just mind-blowing. That's witnessing the power of the gospel, and that just naturally comes out. It just naturally comes out. That's what baffles people. They don't get it. They're just like, isn't everything just circumstantial? Your circumstances should be, you should be crying, you should be in a ball somewhere, but you're like living, and you're happy, and, or maybe you're not happy, but you're thriving. Why? How is this? Because you've witnessed the gospel, and it's just naturally woven into your very being. So I'm going to challenge you this week to meditate on that. Spend some time just meditating on the gospel. Witness the gospel in your life and the life of others. What, how has this transformed you? How has it transformed you? It's just not a bunch of words that we're speaking. It's not just like, here, let me drop the, the gospel grenade and I'm, I'm walking away. It's our very being. It's who we are. How has the gospel changed you? As I conclude, I just want us to focus that man-made structures will fall. St. Saint Peter's Basilica, one day they'll no, they'll no longer be a St. Peter's Basilica to look at. But God's temple built from the foundation of his word, centered on Christ by the power of his spirit, with the living stones of his people are an architectural wonder before even the angels of heaven stand in awe. We read that in 1 Peter. The angels just don't get it. I, if you ever want to check it out, look at 1 Peter. It's, it's unbelievable. The angels are just sitting there going like, God, I don't know why you're so good to these people. And they just stand in awe of that. But yet God is. So may we be witnesses manifesting Christ's presence or his glory as the church scattered now and forevermore. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for making weak vessels like us living bricks for your temple, where you actually dwell. It's, it's one of those things, Lord, that I just, I don't even know if we could fully understand this side of heaven, Lord. We thank you for that, though. May you empower us as we go and live out being the temple, being your church. We, may we manifest your presence to those that don't know you. May we be bold. May we, our foundation be in your word, not in the words of others, but by your infallible word that speaks of our perfect Lord Jesus Christ. So be with us as we go forth here. In Jesus' name, amen.